Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with a perspective and tools to grow and change. You know, here at the Open Your Eyes Project, we are deeply committed to the simple truth that you can't be what you can't see. Therefore, we need to open our eyes to the possibilities and realities around us. And one of those realities is that you are filled with immense potential. And sometimes seeing things in a new way can unlock that potential. So wherever you're listening to this podcast today, I hope you get a new perspective of how you can think and live better. If you want to find the home channel for these podcasts, go to openyoureyes.org to find your podcast channel, then subscribe so you get the automatic updates as they're released each Monday. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about finishing your race. Now imagine getting in your car, getting on the interstate, and increasing your speed to 200 miles per hour. Then imagine alongside you and in front of you are other cars traveling at the same speed, and they are only one foot in distance from you. And if that isn't enough, another car is on your tail, which is constantly bumping into you. And you know with the slightest increase or decrease in speed, you'll likely make contact with the cars all around you. And with the cars driving so closely on either side of you, it's likely that one of these cars will bump into you with enough force to cause you to spin out of control or run directly into the side rails of the freeway. And imagine doing this for 500 miles. Well, this is exactly what it's like to drive a stock car in the Daytona 500 on the Daytona International Speedway. Well, NASCAR is the largest stock car racing governing body in the world. Now, a stock car, in the original sense of the term, is a car that has not been modified from its original factory configuration. The stock cars raced in Daytona do have modified chassis and brake systems and suspension, but many of the elements in the car are similar to a car you'd purchase at a dealership. Years ago, racing legend Dale Earnhardt and his team pulled up to the gate at Daytona International Speedway. Now, Earnhardt's crew was one of the very best in racing. Sponsored by Goodwrench, the team was well-funded, and Earnhardt himself was a seven-time NASCAR championship winner. He'd won 76 races in his career and was behind only a few of the greats like Richard Petty and Jeff Gordon in total wins. Earnhardt was nicknamed the Intimidator. And he was given this name because in a race, he never backed down. No matter what the circumstance, he stayed in the race. And regardless of those circumstances, he would finish. And those around him knew he was there. Well, in the months leading up to Daytona, Earnhardt had been extremely vocal against recent rules established by NASCAR that put restrictions on springs and shocks. Yet at the same time, NASCAR also started allowing new aerodynamic packages on these normal stock cars. This new aerodynamic design pushed the car more firmly onto the road, allowing the drivers to feel more in control and willing to push higher speeds. 
The problem with this was that the springs and shocks and other elements of the stock cars were not able to handle the high speeds. And Dale's concern was that the other drivers would overdrive and this would cause crashes and fatalities. And all the drivers and crews knew that this race would be the most harrowing Daytona in history as drivers got used to the new cars and handling. As the race began, Earnhardt looked like a champion. He was the front runner for the first 17 laps. But Earnhardt's concerns were well-founded when at laps 49 and 157, drivers were going too fast, hit the wall, and the caution flags came out. On lap 173, Earnhardt was in seventh place. In front of Dale was Michael Waltrip, another driver on his team, and Dale's son, Dale Earnhardt Jr., who was in second place. Well, directly behind Earnhardt, there was a huge crash. It began when one driver turned onto another on a turn, and the result was Tony Stewart's car was pushed over the top of another, and he went airborne at 200 miles an hour. Now, he survived the crash, but he and 18 drivers were unable to finish the race. Now, I don't know about you, but after multiple crashes and with the cars now dangerously modified and drivers on the track recklessly exceeding safety limits, I wouldn't want to get back on the track to finish the race. And while most of us don't drive in Daytona, nor are we constantly at risk of dying in a car crash, I think we all have smaller yet important races that we're trying to finish in life. And at times we question whether we should stay in the race. Sometimes it feels like we're going round and round the same track with little progress. And sometimes we're just too tired or bored or stressed or ready to leave the race behind. And the question is, will you finish the race? Well, while Earnhardt and his son Dale patiently circled the track under a caution flag, Waiting for the crash to be cleaned up, Earnhardt said to his crew chief over the radio, if they don't do something to these cars, it's going to end up killing somebody. You see, with the stock suspensions and modified aerodynamics, the cars weren't equipped to handle the speeds and proximity of the cars that day. Well, before the race started up at lap 180, Dale radioed to his son and Michael Waltrip to keep in the lead. You see, he wanted them to stay ahead of the field of the other cars so they wouldn't be subjected to the risk of other drivers making mistakes and crashing into them. Dale told them he would block, meaning he would run in third or fourth place and keep the other cars from getting close. As the laps wound down to the finish, Dale Jr. and Waltrip were battling for the lead, and directly behind them was Dale Sr., who was blocking those behind him from passing him to overtake the leaders. Well. Sterling Martin kept trying to pass and was making a lot of contact with Earnhardt's car in doing so, pushing him left and right. And on the final turn of the race, Earnhardt was perfectly positioned to protect his son and his teammate. And in their rush to get to the front, the drivers behind him made contact with Earnhardt's car, pushing him sideways, and his car slid towards the infield. As he corrected, he was hit broadside by Ken Schrader and pushed directly into the wall at 200 miles an hour. As the two cars settled in the infield, Schrader immediately jumped out of his car and ran to check on Earnhardt, who wasn't moving. Up ahead, 
Dale Jr. and Waltrip finished first and second, and they were unaware of the crash behind them. And in retelling the event, Schrader described what he said when paramedics arrived. He said, we've got a big problem. Look, I'm not a doctor, but I'm telling you, it doesn't look good. And he would later say, here's the deal. I went up to the car and I knew, I knew Dale was dead. I didn't want to be the one who said, Dale is dead. Well, Dale Jr. came around the track and as he went to drive in pit row, he saw his dad's car with all the ambulances and trucks around it. Dale Jr. followed them to the hospital. And the first room in the emergency center was filled with people trying to revive his father. But it was no use. Dale Earnhardt had passed on. Investigators would later say that the combined force of the wall and the impact of Schrader's car was the equivalent of a vertical drop from over 60 feet. That's like jumping off a six-story building. Dale Jr. would later share his feelings about his father and his father's career. He said that he, his dad, and every other NASCAR driver understands the risk when they drive onto the track. You see, few people understand the extreme danger of driving at such high speeds. And it takes courage, immense courage, to finish each race. But it was something his dad did 136 times in his career. And Dale Jr. loved racing against and with his father. He said that in his first NASCAR race against his father, he was thrilled to be on the same track and trade paint with his father. Now, trading paint is when you crash into another car and get their paint on your car. He said early in his career, he was racing against his dad at Michigan International Speedway. His dad was in the lead and Dale Jr. was right on his bumper. He spent 10 laps trying to figure out how he was going to get around his father. And on the final lap, he got a good runoff of turn four and pulled up beside his dad with a checkered flag in sight. Now it was a drag race. They leaned on each other and bumped hard several times and battled furiously to a photo finish. His dad beat him by 0.007 seconds, the smallest margin of victory in IROC history. His dad had shown him over and over again how to finish the race. Now, you and me, all of us, we're in a race of sorts in life. You know, you circle the track in your job or business or family, trading paint with life and rules and COVID and masks and inflation and people and circumstances that seem to be fighting against you. And at times it seems easier to resign or quit or fake a flat tire, or find some other excuse than getting back in the race. Trust me, I know what it's like to be weary. I remember when our kids were younger, after getting them to bed and solving the disputes and cleaning up the house for the 100th time that day, I often wondered why in the world I was on the parenting merry-go-round anyway. I've gone to work addressing the same problems and working with the same ornery people that I worked with last week and wondering if I would have to do the same thing next week. But here's the thing. There is joy in trading paint, so to speak, in the bumps and bruises of the race. And it's there that you find out who you really are. You learn how to protect those in the race with you and secure the lead and live life more fully when you're in the race. Dale Earnhardt famously said, you can't let one bad moment spoil a whole bunch of good ones. 
So in your race in life, whatever that might be, to finish college, to get your business to the place you know it can be, to raise honest and capable kids, or lose weight, or beat cancer, or survive and thrive after a divorce, or whatever racetrack that you're on right now, resolve, decide, determine to finish the race. And just in case the metaphor of NASCAR has escaped you thus far, think about it. In NASCAR, stock cars, regular cars, are put on an oval track and drivers are expected to drive them at extreme speeds for an extreme number of miles facing extreme risk. This is very much like the race that you and I are in. It's likely that we, ordinary people, are being asked to do extraordinary things. And we may even be racing right now without the right equipment or vision. And in these circumstances, it's easy to quit the race or at least to pull off to the side. So to help, regardless of what your particular race might be, there are proven secrets to getting back on track and finishing the race. And just in case you're driving while listening to this podcast, here's a trick when you get pulled over for speeding. (laughs) Not long ago, a woman was caught speeding on the freeway and was pulled over by a traffic cop. He said, ma'am, You were going 85 miles per hour. Can I see your driver's license? I don't have one, said the woman. It was revoked for reckless driving. I see, said the policeman. Then will you please show me your vehicle registration? I don't have that either because the car's not mine, says the woman. Well, whose car is it? The policeman asked. She said it belongs to the man I killed this morning, chopped up in pieces, put in plastic bags, and loaded into the trunk. I was just going to dispose of him. The policeman was shocked, and he said, You stay right where you are. I'm calling reinforcements. So when the captain arrived, he asked the woman, license, please. And the woman politely said, certainly, here it is. And she hands over her license. Can I see the car's registration? Asked the captain. The woman said, certainly, and hands it over to him. Then he asks, would you mind if I looked in your trunk? Not at all, says the woman, pops open the trunk. He looks in and it's empty. "Uh, Excuse me, says the captain, but my officer told me, You had no license, no vehicle registration, and that you had a stolen car, killed its owner, cut him into pieces, and loaded him in the trunk. To which the woman answered, really? I'll bet the darn liar said I was speeding too. Okay, so back to the way you and I can finish the race in life. Here's one important principle. Dale Earnhardt Jr. said the best advice he ever got from his father about racing was this. He said, My dad took me aside and said, son, if you ever want to win a NASCAR race, you have to unhook the boat you've been tying behind your car for the last 10 races. And you know what Dale Jr. said? He was right. Now, while not the most elegant analogy, I think all of us from time to time are trying to race pulling a boat behind us. You see, we want all the luxuries we enjoy in life. We want to grow a business, reach our goals, and grow as a person but we want to keep the comforts that we've been towing along for a while. We don't want to change our habits or behavior. We don't want stress or anything that comes along with hard work. In many ways, the boat many of us are dragging may be our past. We've tried before and not succeeded. We've prepared for the race, tried and not finished. We can't seem to let go of the I've tried before and not finished mentality. Perhaps you're trying to lose weight again or to restart your business again. And while you're hopeful, there's this underlying drag on your belief. 
Well, if you've ever felt that way, like there's a boat dragging behind you, then take a lesson from Dan. Dan Jansen was a world-class speed skater. He'd set a junior world record in the 500-meter race at age 16 and gone to the Olympics, although he didn't place in the Olympics. Now he was at his second Olympic Games in 1988, preparing to race in both the 500 and 1,000 meters. Now, early in the morning on the day of the 500-meter race, he got a phone call. He was told that his 27-year-old sister Jane had died of leukemia. Well, Jansen was expected to take the gold medal at the Olympics, and because his sister would want him to race, he chose to race that day, and the media and the country were also behind him. What a story it would make to go out and win the race for his sister, right? She was the inspiration behind his skating to begin with. So, as the race began, Jansen powerfully shot to the front. As they went around the first turn, however, his skates slipped out from under him, and he fell. There in front of millions of viewers, he fell and didn't finish the race. Four days later, he stepped up to the start line for the 1,000-meter race, and everyone again expected him to win. Just past the 800-meter mark in the race, he fell again, and he left the Olympics with no medals. So for four more years, he trained and worked to reach the Olympics again. In the 1992 Winter Olympics, he finished fourth in the 500 meters and 26th in the 1,000 meters. A huge disappointment. Now, the Olympics were repeated again in 94 to put the Winter and Summer Olympics on a similar schedule. And in those next Olympics, Jansen was expected to win both the 500 and 1,000 meter races. This was his fourth Olympics. As he stepped to the start line in the 500 meters, the commentators famously reviewed all the falls and disappointments of Jansen's Olympic career. They took nearly 10 minutes on primetime television to review Dan's falls and failures with the entire world. Talk about dragging someone's past failures behind them. Here he was in his fourth Olympics. After enduring one disappointment after another and still dragging the weight of all those falls. Now, in the prior year at the World Sprint Championships, Jansen had won the 500 meters and was the only skater on the ice to break 36 seconds. So he was the favorite to win the Olympics. So, what happened in the 500 meter race? Well, Dan fell again and didn't medal. How could this happen? I'll tell you what, at times, I feel his pain. I know what it's like to set a goal and fall short and fall short again. That emotional and mental weight hitched to you that keeps pulling you down over and over again. Well, Jansen had one race left, the 1,000 meters. And Dan admitted that he had been focused on his disappointments, not just for himself, but he had his entire family and team at the Olympics. And of course, he was worried that if he fell again, they would have to carry that disappointment again. Finally, he said he had a talk with himself. He decided that he would let go of any and all expectations and would just skate. Just skate, he told himself. So after going winless in seven Olympic races over 10 years, Jansen had one final shot in the 1,000 meters, his final Olympic race. Skating in the fourth pairing, 
Jansen was on world record pace after 600 meters when he slipped again on the second to last turn. Across the world, there was this collective gasp. But Jansen regained his balance and cruised on to a new world record time, finally earning the Olympic gold medal that had evaded him for years. Now, I find it fascinating that when Dan finally decided to drop the weight, the boat he was towing, so to speak, and just skate, that he finally finished the race of his career. What about you? What boat, what mindset, what comfort, excuse, past failing are you still dragging around? As ridiculous as it may be to see a car in the Daytona 500 pulling a boat behind it, It's just as ridiculous and crazy that you and I still carry around these mindsets of the past. And it's easy, I think, to give in to the doubt that you can't, even more the thought of what you're attempting, the race that you're in, is dumb. Dumb that someone like me can try to do something big like this. But here's the truth. Whatever race you're in, however crazy it may seem that you could raise honorable children, or build a business to generate the residual income your family needs, or get out of debt, or get that master's degree, or whatever race you're running, don't let anyone's opinion, don't let your doubts, don't let your past failings or anything else drag you down. How do you win when you're in a tug of war with your doubts? Drop the rope. When you're pulling a boat, disconnect the trailer and watch how much easier it is to finish your race. To do so sometimes, it's helpful just to reboot. Just like your IT guys at work always try to solve things by rebooting your computer, do the same. Turn things off, reset, start again. You know, it reminds me of the story of a chemist, an electrician, and an IT guy who gets stranded on the side of the road after their car breaks down. It's the dead of winter and the windshield is below freezing. And the towing company says it'll take two hours to get to them. So as they wait in the car, they start to solve the problem, each from their own perspective. The chemist tells the others, I'm pretty sure I know what happened. The engine oil probably hadn't been changed in a long time, became oxidized and contaminated and lost its ability to lubricate, therefore completely seizing the pistons of the engine. It'll have to be replaced. The electrician says, you guys are overreacting. It's probably just a blown fuse or relay that burned out, causing the car to shut off. We can check the fuse box, replace it, and be on our way. The IT guy looks around and says, "Uh, what if we just got out of the car, then got back in again? I'm telling you, IT guys know a thing or two. And sometimes we just need to get out, get in, start over, reboot and clear out the lingering old code that's in our brain from the past and start again. As simple as that is, it's often the way that you and I get back in the race with the right perspective. Next, to finish our race, to finish your race, you and I must understand, as John Maxwell said, you can't always control what happens to you, but you can control what happens in you. Rarely, if ever, are things fair. And if there's one lesson I want my children and grandchildren to learn, it's that life is rarely, if ever, fair. And the truth is that we must take control of our life. 
There's usually no hero coming to save us, and life is unfair, and usually there's no referee to call out the fouls or offenses that come our way. And I learned a long time ago that everything in life is not fun or interesting or easy. We must choose to run our race. We aren't always going to be popular or admired or even noticed in the running of it. We must choose to run our race. In November of 2004, a group of teenagers in Long Island used a stolen credit card to buy video games and food and a 20-pound turkey. They climbed into the car and drove onto Sunrise Highway. Going the opposite direction on the highway was 45-year-old Victoria Ruvalo. She was two blocks from home after attending a concert. And just before the two cars passed each other, 18-year-old Ryan Cushing threw the bird out of the car and into Ruvalo's windshield. The turkey crashed through the windshield of Ruvalo's car, bent her steering wheel inward before hitting her in the face. The impact broke every bone in her face, causing her esophagus to cave in, shattering her cheeks and jaw. And Ruvalo would spend 10 hours in surgery, have three titanium plates placed behind her face, and surgeons would use wire mesh to rebuild her left eye socket. She would spend two weeks in an induced coma and months in recovery, and she suffered for years with lingering brain damage. Now, the teens were arrested shortly after the assault, and several of them agreed to testify against Cushing. He would have faced up to 25 years in prison if he was convicted of throwing the turkey at Ruvalo's car. While still in her recovery, Ruvalo would witness the outrage from the community. See, they protested on her behalf, stating the obvious, that she did nothing wrong and that she was unfairly and senselessly attacked. Well, Cushing was indicted on charges of first-degree assault and other offenses for which he could have faced up to 25 years. However, Ruvalo did something no one expected. She managed to persuade the district attorney to go easy on the team and insisted that he be given a lenient sentence. Ruvalo said, Some people couldn't understand why I've done this, but I felt God had given me a second chance, and this young man deserves one as well. Well, at her request, Cushing was sentenced to a six-month prison sentence and five years of probation. Ruvalo would become an inspired speaker and went on to work for the Forgiveness Project in Long Island, and she has since passed away. Here's my point. Don't let life's inequities keep you out of the race. Be the best mother you can despite your children's differences. Build your business, even if COVID and other challenges have changed the game. Stay in college despite the C grade you just got in physics. And remember what Ecclesiastes says. The race is not to the swift or the strong, but to he or she that endureth to the end. So as we end today, remember, we all get it. The struggle of going round and round in the race of life, particularly in the race to do extraordinary things. It's not always fun, but it's in the race not on the sidelines that you grow and develop. Lose the boat you're towing or the worries or stress or past failings that you're dragging around with you. Drop the rope in your emotional tug of war and like Dan Jansen, just skate. Just be happy. Be a committed parent in the race of life. Be a disciplined business builder who stays in the game and most of all, remember, life isn't fair. 
But that shouldn't keep you from staying in the race and being noble in your attempt. Most of all, remember why you are in the race to begin with. Because you are endowed with great talents, called to do whatever you're attempting to do, and able, if you stay in the race, to prevail. And I'm certain you are in the race you are in at this time that you're living for a purpose. So, stay focused on that purpose. And soon, you'll find that you were meant to be driving in the greatest race of life, the race of becoming who you are meant to be. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.